This episode of Right at the Fork is brought to you by Zupan's Markets. Let them take care of dinner, introducing their ready-to-heat meals. And it works pretty simple. If you order online by noon, you can pick up the same day between 3 and 7 at your local Zupans. They'll even do curbside pickup, where you just call the store when you arrive, and they'll deliver it to your car. Uh, lots of options, including roasted salmon, vegan black bean, pork, and chicken tamales, roasted chicken, meatloaf, as well as a picnic dinner. Uh, each meal serves four, comes with a variety of sides, and then you can do some add-ons, wine, beer, dessert. Uh, just order online at zoopans.com. And while you're there, make sure you check out their Easter and Passover meal options. Obviously, spring is different this year. It's different for everybody, uh, but there's still plenty of reasons to celebrate. And Zoopans can make that celebration easy with their fresh and fully prepared meal options. Brunch, dinner, desserts uh, available from local bakeries and and everything, as we mentioned before earlier, is available for curbside pickup. In fact, my family's doing this for Easter, picking up on Saturday for Sunday feasting. Uh, you can order online, zoopans.com. Just click on the holiday tab up at the right. And while you're at it, why not get some spring floral into the house? Flowers in the home can obviously decrease stress, uh, can also motivate you, and they just smell nice and they look nice. Uh, local tulips, hanging baskets, potted plants, and more. You can uh, get these at your local Zupans. You can order online, and again, curbside pickup is available for you. So three locations, McAdam, West Burnside, Lake Oswego, and always Zupans.com. Hello, this is Chris Angelus, and you're listening to Right at the Fork, Portland's food scene podcast. And right now our food scene is in a little bit of an upheaval, to say the least. And um, we have changed the focus of our podcast from the backstories of the folks who make our food scene what it is to people and businesses and what they're doing in the face of this pandemic. So uh, for the last two weeks, we've been more uh, up to date and newsworthy than we normally are. And so we've been doing shorter form interviews recorded at my home on a cell phone with a speaker and another cell phone recording it. So we're not asking our guests to get involved with much technology other than picking up the phone to call. And then um, our master technician and my trusty co-host, Court Johnson, is at his home putting these things together and releasing them um, uh, wherever you get your podcast. He makes sure that happens. And so uh, we're very thankful that we um, were able to continue to put out right at the fork um, at, uh, and we thank our sponsors for sticking with us as well. Uh, Zupan's Markets, Ringside Steakhouse, and Toro Bravo Inc. with a lot of restaurants associated with uh, John and Renee Gorham, whom we mention on this podcast today. Um, and this one happens to be with Craig Gerard of Stone Soup. And if you'd like to Google Craig Gerard right at the fork, you'll hear a podcast with him last year where he explains exactly what Stone Soup does, which is to help people who could use the opportunity 
in Portland to learn some skills in a kitchen so that they uh, can have productive careers in uh, in hospitality. He'll explain it in a little more detail at the end of this episode, too. So if you just stick with it to the end, you'll hear that. Um, and so you can hear what Stone Soup is doing in the community uh, to um, keep a lot of people fed and some people employed, too. Um, just a matter of note, uh, I thought, I haven't seen this yet in Portland, so if there are any people who have restaurants or are listening, I think it's a great idea. My cousin Jim Angelus, who owns a restaurant called Bacon Bacon in San Francisco, very proud that my family's namesake restaurant is Bacon Bacon. Um, what he's been doing is uh, offering his patrons, his customers, the opportunity to buy sandwiches for hospital workers, from doctors to nurses to support staff. So they're calling in and they're ordering X number of sandwiches uh, uh, daily to Bacon Bacon, and Bacon Bacon is delivering them to the hospital so that the people buying the sandwiches never need to touch a thing, don't have to do anything but order. I don't know exactly if he's doing it all online or via phone. I assume it's all online. But I thought that was an excellent win-win-win for um, the people on the front lines doing the incredible work, um, for um, patrons who want to do something for the community as well in terms of giving back, and also for Jim to keep as many employees as he can on the payroll and perhaps keep a little, uh, keep a little money rolling in for his own business. To, so that when this is all over with, he's got something uh, to pick up from and move on. So that's that. And I only mention that, yes, he's my cousin and I love him. But I only mention that because I haven't heard of anybody doing that in Portland. And it's a great idea. So, um, And by the way, if you're listening in any other city in the country, obviously it can be applied there. So without any further editorial... Um, because it would be easy for me, I'm holed up here in Manzanita to just go on and on and on. And I've had lots of long conversations with my friends um, because all I have to talk to are two dogs. Um, and they're great. They love listening to me. They never get antsy and uh, they'll keep listening. I hope you do too. We're so glad you're listening to Right at the Fork. And I will, I will note that normally when we start a podcast, court, Johnson, whom I mentioned before, will go out and greet the guests in the reception area and inform them that the mic is live as soon as they sit down so we can kind of start, not kind of, we generally start the podcast. It's rolling when they walk in the door. Well, in keeping with that format, I, I sort of surprised Craig um, in this podcast without telling him ahead of time. We're just going to rock right in on this. So... Um, uh, I apologize to Craig for not letting him know that the interview was starting as soon as he picked up the phone, but uh, he imparts some excellent information, and we're glad he took the time out of his busy day to join us on Right at the Fork. I've just read bits and pieces about what you're doing, and a lot of little um, uh, mentions from some other people. I mean, I know what Stone Soup was doing before the pandemic, but 
um, you know, you've changed your focus a little bit. How how can you explain yeah. that? Yeah, we we made a a, a large pivot. Um, so we were approached by the county uh, to provide some meals for some of the new shelters that they are setting up for keeping residents who were staying in those shelters at safe distances. Uh, so the new shelters don't add any new beds to the shelter population. They're just helping people spread out. And they were looking to feed some of those folks, and they asked Stone Soup if we would be interested in making some of the meals. And I knew that some of our partner restaurants were also struggling to figure out what their next moves were and uh, wanted to offer that as a resource to our partner restaurants. So we, I reached out to some of the folks in our job placement network. Uh, these are the places that had shown interest in hiring our graduates from our culinary training program anyway uh, to see if they could fill in some of this need. Um, and through that, it came clear that the county was also looking for somebody to help coordinate those meals. Um, so because of our relationship with some of the social service providers and our relationship with some of the restaurants and, you know, diminished uh, to-do lists because we weren't open to the public, uh, we had some extra capacity to take that on. So we're now coordinating meals for all of the new shelters that the county is standing up. How many shelters is that and how many meals are you serving, are you preparing a day? Yeah, so we have, there are right now four shelters. Um, a fifth one is being added tomorrow. Um, a sixth one is being added on Monday and a seventh is being added, we're told, next Friday. Um, right now we have um, 360 folks that we're feeding breakfast, lunch, and dinner to each day. And next, and then um, that'll increase slightly as we ramp up at the new shelters. But we anticipate that that number will likely uh, close to double uh, before we were finished. And is that all coming out of your stone soup kitchen, or are you coordinating <laughs> with other folks? <laughs> yeah, the there is no way we could make that many meals. I know. Well, I know, but that's you know, people people work magic when they have to. But I, right. Uh, yeah, well, yeah. Now that you got, that's that's three hundred fifty. Yeah, Chef Scott definitely works the magic. Uh, he turned our tiny kind of 30-cover casual lunch counter per day uh, into a uh, production kitchen that we are covering one of the shelters five days a week doing 125 breakfast, lunch, and dinners uh, for that shelter. So, so there um, you we go. Are, we're keeping our staff uh, very busy and our restaurant is fully occupied. Our, um, the, the other shelters and the other meals are being covered by Toro Bravo, Hot Lips Pizza. Um, we just brought in Laughing Planet, Elephants, um, Buna, 
is doing some meals for us. Um, Sisters Gourmet, we have, um, now I'm going to forget all of them. Uh, um, Grand Central Bakery is doing some breakfast for us. Bowery Bagels did a, a bunch of stuff. And um, so it's, it is a whole of community effort to, to pull this together. And so we're just one, one little part of it. Right. Well, so, you know, if I had asked you, I'm not trying to defend myself, but if I had asked you <laughs> two months ago to say, hey, can you pop out 120 breakfast, lunch and dinners from that kitchen? You probably would have looked at me cross-eyed. So even the fact that you got to 120 or 125, uh, it's not out of the question that I would. But I asked the question because it would seem to me difficult for you to do all that. So it's great that you have a lot of restaurant partners doing that. Who's paying for all the food? Where does it, where do the funds yeah. come from? Yeah. So the County, uh, is, has agreed to cover the tab on this. And I'm, um, I don't see their, uh, revenue streams, but I'm, I'm guessing that a lot of this is coming from either state or federal, uh, emergency relief funding, uh, as well as some of their own coffers. Um, I think the motivation um, is not just to feed people, but really um, they have a double motivation to help keep people employed. And so for some of our our restaurants, they have said this is a, a real lifeline that we wouldn't really be able to keep doing takeout and other food service if we didn't have this in addition. So it's been a real nice treat that we can give back to our partners to say, hey, here's a solid contract meal service that you can do. And I know it's outside of your normal comfort zone, just like it was outside of our comfort zone. But let's uh, let's get together and figure it out and figure out best practices for everybody and share best practices with everybody. And so, um, yeah, that's, that's felt really good. It would seem to me to be a, a great way to use whatever, where, wherever it's coming from, stimulus money, in a productive way to keep people working, keep people eating. And then the other factor, and I, I don't know a lot about it, but as far as sustaining these shelters, that's helping to get people off the street and, and some kind of semblance of social distance, distancing, I would imagine, correct? Yeah, so some of the hotels, for example, are used for people who don't necessarily have coronavirus, but they are immunocompromised and need to be apart from other places, other places and other people because of their extreme vulnerability. Uh, some of the other larger shelters, you know, when they the county sets up the beds, they're not packing them in there uh, as tight as possible. They're measuring out and putting dividers up and um, making sure that there's adequate distance for everybody. All of the meals that we make are individually packaged so that there's no shared utensils. It's not a buffet line. Um, we're trying to minimize exposure for everybody, all of our workers, all of the shelter staff, all of the residents. Um, we're trying to keep everybody at a safe distance so that we can kind of halt the spread. And, and what are you doing in your own kitchen to um, assure or do the best you can 
for the safety of your workers at, at Stone Soup? Yeah, that's, that's a great question and something that we've been thinking about quite a bit as of late. So we have been, from the beginning, you know, washing hands like crazy and spraying everything down and making sure that we sanitize everything that comes in our door. We just treat every surface, every person, every box that comes in as if it had virus on it so that we completely sanitize everything before it even enters our space. Um, this week we launched a campaign to help provide masks to all of our, um, to all of our partner restaurants. So on our Facebook page and to our email list, we sent out a notice that says, hey, if you want to volunteer to make some masks, here's where you can send them to or here's where you can drop them off um, with directions on if you have a sewing machine or if you don't have a sewing machine. And uh, those we've, so we made some prototypes. My lovely wife and co-founder of Stone Soup, Granite Gerard, made the first prototypes for our restaurant and then um, we're asking volunteers to help make masks for the rest of our partners. Um, we're also giving all of our employees a uh, spray bottle of sanitizer so they can bring that home and keep their home safe the way that we keep our restaurant safe. Um, and, you know, just encouraging them to have um, clean habits, you know, changing and showering when they get home and um, not touching anything and you know, like I said, just treating every service like it is dirty and making sure that um, they're taking the adequate precautions. How many employees do you have in are working on this project now? Yeah, so we have about eight folks that are coming in on a uh, varied schedule basis, kind of a staggered schedule. So we have an early crew and a later crew doing the, the lunch, breakfast, lunches, and dinners. Um, we have hired um, some of our current and past program participants um, to fill those roles right now, um, which feels really good. Um, the, the hard part for us is that we are trying to limit the number of folks that are coming through our door, which means that we can't hire all of them um, we would love to, and that's been, I think, the biggest challenge for us is that um, there's a lot of people that we have helped and that we want to continue to help, but um, we haven't been able to because we're, um, we just want to limit the number of people that, that are coming into Stone Soup. Well, that makes sense. So I will have covered it in the intro, but if you would be so kind as to provide the elevator speech as to what Stone Soup did or is will be doing again um, in a non-pandemic world, that would be great. Yeah, it, yeah in, in uh, quote-unquote normal times, what Stone Soup does is that we're a non-profit restaurant that provides training for people who are at risk of homelessness for careers in the food and hospitality industry. And that's, that's a, that is an elevator speech. So you, you train them there and then they graduate into the world, into real jobs. And you're headed by uh, none other than Scott Dolich of 
Park Kitchen and Bent Brick and Wildwood fame. So that's a a pretty nice uh, nice way to go about a whole training program. In addition to some of the people that Scott's brought in, correct? Yeah, and we, you know we have a real solid team of cooks and chefs uh, that are with us. Um, Connor Braddock and Sue Olvie and uh, Anthony Dale. Those are our uh, right now our cooks and chefs that are. Um, teaching and showing our program participants what they're doing under Scott's direction. And they have been um, a real joy to work with and a real, the, the chemistry is good and the concern is there. And we're, you know, we're all about helping people make that transition, which, you know, is, not always the easiest transition to make. Um, and, you know, as you know, and as your listeners know, working in the kitchen, um, not always the easiest job. Um, so we're trying to give our participants the tools that they need to be successful, uh, give them the, the strength and the, the compassion, but also the confidence to advocate for themselves to be able to move up in this industry. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of talk now about, okay, with this industry sort of decimated, um, what does that mean for job training programs in culinary across the country? Um, I am taking a more optimistic view of that in that when restaurants come back online, whether or not they come back online under the same name or a different owner, um, but they will come back online when this economy recovers. Um, all of those restaurants are going to be hiring. Um, and that puts a job training program like ours and like Fair Start in Seattle and across the country, there's a network of restaurants that are all doing training for people with barriers to employment in the food service industry. And if we can continue to put our folks first and uh, train them in, in a way that we're confident that they can handle the jobs, um, all these restaurants will be hiring. And uh, hopefully that means that um, opportunities will be there. Um, well, so that leads me to you're in touch with a lot of I wanted to ask you about the future. You're in touch with a lot of chefs. And of course, of course, Scott has some experience, but nobody has experience with anything like this before. So it's all <laughs> new to everybody. But what is your general feeling? I know you must be talking and we've talked to John Gorham and so forth. But you've, you're talking to a lot of people in the industry what, what do you think are the prospects coming out of this for a lot of those small business owners? And uh, do you have, have you heard any much from many people that would provide some optimism for, uh, for the industry and for, and for diners too, who are going to want to get out again? And we hate to see, when I, whenever I hear someone say, well, restaurants may open under new ownership, I just wonder who those people are going to be. Because, uh, you know, a lot of people are getting hurt through this. And I don't know who's going to be left standing with a lot of investment dollars to take a chance on an industry where diners are going to be. It, it's going to be tough for diners to go out, too. So what are your do you have some general thoughts about all of that that I just said? <laughs> <laughs> I, 
So I don't have a ton about, um, I think for us right now, we're focusing on the immediate needs and the immediate crisis um, and getting meals out to our uh, to the shelters that we've said that we're going to. And if we can help our restaurant partners stay afloat in this time, then even better. And that's kind of the, the dual mission that we're trying to focus on right now. In terms of the longer term longevity of the restaurant industry, um, I, I don't have a lot of wisdom about that. I think um, we will see that some changes will happen inevitably. Um, but I think your point about diners wanting to give back and see their favorite restaurateurs do well and succeed and eat the food that they've come to love, I think that's probably the biggest point of optimism. Our, our fans and the greater community has been really supportive of um, all restaurants, whether it's through buying gift cards or um, making donations or anything like that, uh, folks will help where they can. And there may be diminished capacity to do so because everyone is um, suffering through the same economic turmoil that restaurants are. Um, but uh, I, I'm myself am optimistic that it will turn around. Um, my only question is when? What, what's the timeline look like? Right. Well, a lot of, a lot of uh, restaurants don't have a lot of time. Of course, I just read uh, in the last two days there's a um, moratorium on rent, commercial rent evictions, which I think is going to help. I don't know necessarily what happens with that um, with the rent that is uh, it's not forgiven, so I don't know when that's how that's going to work. But uh, hopefully, some of the stimulus package that restaurants get and commercial businesses get will help them offset some of those. Uh, some of those losses. So lastly, Craig, I really appreciate you taking the time today because I know you're busy. What sort of meals are people in the shelters eating that you're preparing? Is it, is it some pretty simple stuff or, um, you know, I'm, I assume that you're able to, the, you know, your suppliers still have some fun ingredients to work with. Yeah. So when, I can speak to Stone Soup's menu a little bit more than others, but um, we are focusing on some hearty soup things like chili or casseroles like um, mac and cheese that can easily be um, eaten with folks that have dental issues, which is, was a concern for um, some of the folks in the shelters. Mm -hmm. um, so we're, we're being trying to be real sensitive to that. Um, I know that Lardo had some, some tri-tip sandwiches on their menu for a bit. And, you know, Rick's going to make an amazing sandwich regardless of who's eating it. So um, I think that, um, you know, we've had some egg strata that we've put in our meals. I know that Grand Central was making some delicious pastries to bring over. Um, I hope that um, the meals are appreciated 
appreciated because I know the folks that are making them are putting together with love. Right. Well, it's got to be for love in this uh, in this time. And, you know, the other thing is passion. Um, I don't know if you've had time to see, but a lot of chefs are now doing videos because they need somewhere to put that that uh, cooking energy and the passion that they put every day into their restaurants and their food needs to go somewhere. So I've been enjoying a lot of um, a lot of the cooking videos put out by people like Gabriel Rucker and Vitaly Paley. They're kind of fun, and I may not be tackling their recipes, but I pick up a little cooking tip on how to do something a little better here and there. So that's been pretty cool. I wonder, you think Scott, Scott doesn't have time to do that. <laughs> we're keeping him a little bit too busy. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, we're... <laughs> <laughs> tell him I said so. <laughs> now, tell him I, I asked. And then, and then also, please tell... I, I, as I was talking to you here, I realized that... Um, we at Park Kitchen on November 9th, 2016, we had a, a food event and it was supposed to be a celebration, we thought, for those of for those people who wished that a Democrat had won the White House. But it was the exact opposite. And I was thinking about, hey, Scott, did you ever think this was going to happen as a result of that night? Um, and you can't blame it all on Trump. But the response I'm going to, I don't like to be very political on this show, but let's face it, the response was lacking. And one of the reasons that we're scrambling to deal with this is because there wasn't a quick response to the warnings and because there wasn't a team in place to handle this for the United States government. Are you silent? He's not going to comment. I am. <laughs> That's okay. I, yes, I actually try to stay political. Uh, you know, I, I don't... Um, what I actually hope is I, I'm very government because the leadership from the county to provide these shelters and the adequate spacing um, could have, you know, feeding those folks could have just gone to um, name your national corporate caterer here and then instead they've um, really prioritized small locally owned businesses uh, including some uh, women owned and minority owned businesses that we're able to bring in um, like we have a women's only shelter as one of the shelters and 82% of the meal providers are uh, women run businesses for that shelter so um, and that was you know, an idea that we came up with, but um, something that was wholeheartedly supported by uh, the county. And so the fact that they're showing some leadership in not only feeding people, but also keeping small businesses going and keeping people employed, I think that um, I think that shows a lot of courage. So while we might not be getting great direction or leadership from the top top um we at the local level i think we're doing all right i'm glad you picked up that ball and ran with it in that direction and it makes a lot of sense because <laughs> no i think one of the positives in this is to show that we can that people locally can make a difference um from organizations like yours right through to uh local governments state governments they do make a difference and um 
it it takes it takes a, a community to um, to get through something like this, and I can't wait until the day that we don't have to do these timely podcasts talking about the coronavirus, and we're back to uh, doing our normal uh, people of interest profiles. And we have one with you, by the way. So I'll suggest that people go Google right at the fork Craig Gerard. They're probably going to now see two entries. And the last one is a really great interview with you about starting Stone, Stone Soup, what your vision was and how it was progressing at the time. I think that was what, about five, six months ago, half a year ago, perhaps maybe a little before that last summer. So, um, right. I think that was then. And by the way, I heard from, um, from Corey Schreiber yesterday who said he was looking to get in touch with you. I hope he has, he has, uh, some thoughts on this. Oh, good. Good. All right. Well, good. And he's, uh, you know, I'm sure his participation and Cisco's in this process will be very helpful too. I know he's trying to get, uh, his company to, to work towards, uh, providing some assistance on this too. So, Craig, thank you so much for what you do on behalf of the community and just for being a really nice guy. Ever since I've met you, it's been nothing but a pleasure doing that event last year with you and uh, speaking with you this morning. Yeah, I can't wait to do it again. Well, not about this. No, not about this. Oh, you not mean an event? Getting together and eating some. Yeah, no, no, no. That was easily one of the best Portland food adventures events we we have ever had. It was it was really really. Ever. Yeah, it was really really nice. It, it would be hard to outdo that. So, um, but um, again, thank you for uh, for coordinating that and putting and spearheading that. And uh, yes, let's do it again. Let, let let's say in November December. How about that? Perfect. All right. Talk to you soon. Okay. Thanks, Craig. Say hello to Thanks, say hello to uh, Scott and all the folks there. Thanks. This has been Right at the Fork with your host Chris Angelus from Portland Food Adventures, and I'm Court Johnson. This podcast is supported by Zupan's Markets, the Toro Bravo Inc. Restaurant Group, and Ringside Steakhouse. You can support the Toro Bravo Inc. Restaurant Group by ordering takeout at some of their locations, or by simply purchasing a gift card to use later. You can find out which restaurants are open for to-go orders and get those gift cards at torobravoinc.com. Ringside Steakhouse, a Portland institution for over 75 years, is looking forward to serving you again soon. In the meantime, you can purchase gift cards on their website where they're now offering bonus gift cards. For example, if you purchase a $300 e-gift card, you'll receive a $50 bonus dining gift card. And with the purchase of a $500 e-gift card, you'll get a $100 bonus dining card. You can get full details at ringsidesteakhouse.com. Right at the Fork is hosted and produced by Chris Angeles and Court Johnson. Connect with us on Twitter and Instagram at Food Podcast PDX or on Facebook at Right at the Fork or online at rightatthefork.com. Right